get up what it is, what it does, what it is, what it is. Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hippie kid. Yes, people. We are here for another episode of Eternal Echoes from the Void. We're killing it. You know what I mean? Everything is so awesome right now. I can't even get my words right. You know what? It's it, it, it's been a crazy time. This has been a, a weird ass week. You know what I mean? It's been a weird ass week. It it, it 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 started it started bad. I have to admit, it, it it started bad. I had an interview on Monday, and I thought the interview went well. I thought it was cool, but they were like, "Look, we're gonna let you know by the end of the week." But I didn't hear anything by the end of the day. But I didn't hear anything. So I'm just, I was just like, ugh, what the fuck, man? It means that, um, you know, I haven't got the job. It means I haven't got the job. This is, it's just ridiculous. Like, everything is going wrong. I, I, I just spiraled, you know what I mean? I, I, I spiraled, I was losing my shit. Um, you know what? Ah, oh, man, I'm jamming. Hold our hands up like a feeling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Mm, 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 mm. So I you know what I mean? You have to jam sometimes, people. You have to jam. You know what I mean? It is disinfectious. What can I do? But um, yeah, so I mean, you know what? I spiraled. I was I just lost my shit, man. You know what I mean? I hit up a couple of my good friends. I mean, I was just like, look, everything is going wrong. This is ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. And they were just, you know, you know they, uh, they came back to me. It, it, was, it was extremely helpful. They came back to me. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 was, that was a big thing. And um, so, because I was up early, man. I just couldn't sleep. You know what I mean? It was just a, a terrible night. I couldn't sleep. The thing is, last year was ridiculous. You know what I mean? I nearly broke my leg. Um, I, I, you know what I mean? I, like my contracts all got fucked up. I mean, I lost my voice a couple of times. You know what I mean, I just got terribly ill. Like we're trying to fuck around with this medication and everything's just going insane. You know what I mean? So it it was a terrible year. You know what I mean? My knee is still fucked. I mean, my knee is still fucked. You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. So I was just like, you know what? 2018 was a bust. 2019 is starting the same way. What 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 what, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. But then my phone went. My phone went Tuesday morning. I picked my phone up. I'm just like, hey, how you doing? What's going down? Kevin Scott here. Um, and I heard, hey, it's uh, blah, blah from the agency. And I'm just like, okay. All right. Whatever, man. So we'll move on to the next thing. He's like, oh, they, they offered you the job. You know, they thought you would, uh, you know what I mean? They, they thought you were the best candidate. They did say that. He did say that. I ain't just talking shit here, people. And like, I don't even know what the fuck happened. Do you know what I mean? I was ghost. 
it was just like I lost my mind. I lost my frigging mind. You know what I mean? It was just like, man, like you know what I mean? It's the amount of times you go for things and they just don't happen. You know what I mean? Um, because like those kind of things, that's out of your control. You, you know what I mean? You can go to the interview. You can you can do your best. You can put your best foot forward. You know what I mean? You go, you look sharp, you're polite, you've done your research, you answer those questions like a G. You know what I mean? But then they, they have to make the decision. They have to I, I I was on one interview panel once and there was this uh, we had a girl and a guy and the girl she was she was very good you know what I mean it was a, she was an indian descent girl she was extremely good and she had um a lead into the market that we were trying to get into then there was this older white guy and you know what both were qualified this is the thing both were qualified and the guy had more experience but this is the thing his contacts they were older they were older they were the wrong contacts they were people that we were trying to get away from you know she had the market we wanted he didn't this is the this is the crazy thing though because I was on the panel with these three girls and the guy was gay and they were just saying wouldn't it be nice to have a gay guy in the in the office and we can talk he can give us clove advice and we can talk about makeup and blah blah bum they weren't talking about you know what I mean the qualifications how that matched up and blah 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 they weren't talking about that at all so you know I mean, I said the girl free against me against for the guy. The guy got the job, and then they hated him, <laughs> which was hilarious. But see, but this is the thing: sometimes it's 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 a biased that you're you're up against when you're going for these interviews. So you go for so many interviews and you get worn, you kind of get worn down mentally, out of physically. You know what I mean? You you still go, you still perform to your best. But deep down inside, you're just like you've been worn away and you just you just think, is this really worth it? Is this what you know what I mean? And that was 2018. It's definitely 2018. So, you know what I mean? It was just like to get this news that it it it, it completely validated everything I was doing but it, it it really just gave me that that new boost that new charge to really hit because this is like you know what I mean I this is I started the podcast right and you know then I started another podcast echo chamber if you haven't heard it why not why not people but um yeah, I started a podcast and like look, you can listen to the first few and the sound is a little bit off. 
But as as they've gone on, this is number 32, man. This is number 30, you know what I mean? As they've gone on, they've definitely improved. Now, I know there's more that, that can be done. So my plans were to, you know, get better equipment. You know, get better equipment um, for here. And then... I'd rent this out time in the studio that I sourced last year. So that was the plan going into this year. Get get guests, get interviews, um, and just improve this. So, because I can do, this is me. This is dependent on me. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, I, you know, if the money isn't there, I can't get the equipment but I can still use what I have, improve it on that level, um, and do things there. So, you know, I'm just like, look, this is me. But then the other things I can't control. So you do kind of, as I said, look, you spiral down, man. You know what I mean? You, 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 you're looking that dog in the face sometimes, for real. And, yeah, sometimes you make plans. You know what I mean? You make plans to disappear. Um, so, it's like, when you do get, I think, when you do get that recognition, it, it, it's extremely, it's extremely helpful. It's extremely helpful because... When you've been in a in a thing for so long, I've been doing, you know, I've been doing marketing for over ten years, over goddamn ten years, man. And so, when you actually get recognised for what you do, that's important. It's definitely important. So yeah. This dream, the the twenty nineteen has definitely started a whole lot better. I didn't think it was gonna go this way. You know what I mean? I thought it was gonna be a slog. I thought, yeah, it was it was gonna be a mess. But um, because the beginning, the first week, the first week was crazy insane um so yeah i wasn't sure i wasn't sure but now now god damn it you know what i mean it like there's possibilities there's definitely possibilities so i'm gonna use this to um you know what i mean propel myself forward and just up every up everything everything's getting up everything's getting taken to the next level and i'm gonna try and get my knee fixed <laughs> that's what you i'm trying to get it, my knee fixed man so i can actually um you know what i mean get to that jujitsu man i mean that's a fan but yes um we 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 we're taking it to the next level. We're going hard, and this this podcast, yo, I think this is a good one, man. I think this is a good one. Um, there's no news at the end because 
it's it, it's definitely heavy. <laughs> this is definitely no. Actually, fuck it. This this ain't it ain't heavy. It ain't it ain't heavy. It's just a curvy podcast. It's curvy. It's curvy and it's proud. Yeah, curvy and it's proud, man. So. Yeah, it, it, it's longer than <laughs> it's longer than normal, but we're bringing you the first, very first Echoes from the Void interview. So we have a great guest on this week. Um, we we we've got uh, I'm doing exhibition review or re-review. So yeah, it's a bit long. It's it's longer than normal, but it, you know it's curvy, it's curvesque, it's nice, and um, so I, I feel it's you know what I mean it's a great way to start twenty nineteen. So yeah, the, the the job, this kick ass podcast. So you know what I mean? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break into the the news news. And then, uh, then you get the other goodness, man. So, people, enjoy, get with it, and we're gonna crush this, man. Twenty nineteen, what? Okay, so let's get to the news. Um, you know, there's not a whole deal this week that was, you know, that interesting. And, you know, a lot of other people have covered a lot of other stuff. But on the 17th of January, the New York Knicks will be playing the Washington Wizards. One of my teams, man. You know, Mitch Richmond went to them back in the day. So, you know, had to keep my eye on them. They will be playing at the O2 Arena in Greenwich um, But not making that trip Is NS Cantor uh, Who um, Yeah Who is in fear Of his life So he's a Turkish Native um, And he's been very Critical of The country's president uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan um, I probably butchered that But um, yeah So he's had some trouble in the past Like he was detained in Romania um, In 2017 um, You know his Turkish passport was cancelled in 2017 like he's uh, there was a arrest warrant put out for his dad last year. So yeah, he 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 thinks that if he comes to the UK, he could be killed. Which I view is kind of a crazy ass look, right? Shit like that doesn't happen over here, you know. Yeah, there's been a a, a few incidents. Yeah, but 
yeah, they got blown up. They were, they were in the news. But break it down, right? Maybe five incidents in however many years. So it's just like, yeah, there's no... There, there is just as much chance of being killed here as there is of being killed in the US. So, I don't know. It, it, it seems crazy to me. And you kind of think that my man just didn't want to travel. Yeah, he just wanted a cotch at home. So yeah, I I didn't I don't know if I'm buying it because yeah, you're not getting murked in the UK, son. Ah, oh. there's the one thing about the new year you have all these stupid ass things. Right, people want to take January and 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 make it, you know, like dry January, like um, oh, like uh, what is it? I think they were growing the beards in January, um, like vegan, Jan veganary, it's another thing. Go vegan for January, like, but they're all stupid because right. So, dry January. You're telling people not to drink at all. So, they've gone heavy in December. Because you've got Christmas parties, you've got Christmas. So, that's often something that people do. Then, you're saying, like, so then they have to go completely cold turkey throughout January. Right? But then, you know that on the 1st of February, they're going hard. They're gonna like go. I haven't had a drink in a month. Boom, going. But you know, it, it's just not a sensible thing to do because also they're just saying January. Like, if you really want people to curb their drinking, just go. Oh, why don't we just cut down and cut down and work it? Bum 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 and do it like this. Bum bum bum. Rather than go go cold turkey. And then we'll forget about you. You know what I mean? Whatever. Fuck it. And so that's a stupid thing. Like, you know, it's the same with being vegan. So you're like, all right, so you're eating, you know, pigs in blankets, turkey, blah, 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 in January, in December. Then in January, we're cutting all this shit out and all you're eating is this. Like, when you change, when you go to, like, something like gluten-free, vegan... You have to, like, look and you have to see and be like, right, can my body cope with this? Am I able to eat these foods? Can my body digest this stuff? It's a big process. So, like, people just go, right, I'm just doing it. It's just ridiculous. All ridiculous. And there's, so, the new thing is Jan-U-Hairy. jan Yeah. Yep, a uh, <laughs> an Exeter University student, Laura Jackson, decided to set up the whole scheme, um, which is, uh, I I just don't even 
I just don't even know. Because the whole rhetoric around it is uh, very misplaced and not completely truthful, really. When you look at it, right? So she's like going, um, you know, she launched a month. And you have a whole, and she's like, oh yeah, every, every, loads of people getting behind it, and, and she says, I just want women to feel more comfortable in their own beautifully unique bodies. And I'm just like, there's been plenty of, I mean, there's been plenty of stuff around this, you know, like, there there was a thing, I know a lot of models were like, yo, we're, we're not shaving our eyebrows, you know, we're just gonna let those completely grow, there was another model that just, yeah, didn't shave, and there was photos of her with hairy legs, another model who had a hairy um, top lip, like other models with hairy armpits, you know, this this has been, there has been a build up over the, the years of, you know, a, a more of a trend of just a natural look, so to say that you know, this is the first ever campaign, when it's not, it, it's just not, so you have to stop talking that shit, Another thing is, yeah, back in the day, you know what I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the, you know, the craziness of the 70s and the 80s, yeah, like, people were like, right, you have to shave your legs for, for, for this film part, you have to do this, you have to do that, yeah, there, there definitely was that, but now, I think that's not the case as much yes obviously there's going to be certain people that be like oh you need to shave you need to do this blah, blah, blah. but you know I mean that's not everyone if, if you if you break it down that is a small percentage of people most people they don't really give a fuck it's just like i remember this one chick she was, you know, she hadn't shaved her legs, and I was just like, all right, yeah, whatever, and she's like, don't tell me I can't shave, I should shave my, I'm like, I didn't even say a word, I don't give a fuck, but, you know, it's a thing, some people want to, like, go, I'm doing this, yeah, I'm militant, I'm, but you're not, no one's telling you you can't, so you're you're kicking up a stick, but no one is really telling you you should do this, you should do that, and the like. The article on the BBC website is hilarious because all, all they're, they're talking to students now. It, it it's just. Yeah, yeah, the article is talking to these um, four or five white students. Now, they're all going to university and 
especially Exeter University, has got safe spaces all over the place. So no one's going to talk to them in the university because it's set up in a way that you can't go and say blah, blah, blah about anything. So they're in their safe space doing this, doing this supposedly campaign where they're growing out their hair where, and they know no one can say anything to them in this spot. So it's not really empowering because it's in a safe space. So what are you really saying? So this is the thing. It's it's a crazy, ludicrous situation where you where you're doing something where no one, where the you know the greater whole doesn't really care. No one is forcing you to to put a razor to your armpits. Do you know what I mean? No one's forcing you to shave your legs. You you're living in a country where you can do this shit. You know what I mean? It's just, it just seems like a, a a ludicrous thing to me, really. Um, the last thing that I, I've I've come across is a um. So there's a um a, a computer tech firm in Los Angeles. Uh, they are called um Alti. Con, and their thing is that they will only employ people with all <laughs> they will only employ autistic people okay um yeah they're in Santa Monica Los Angeles um and the, so the article, yeah, it just talks about how, yeah, they're only employing people with aut- autistic, um, on the autistic uh, spectrum. It's founded by a guy called Ga- Ga- Gray Benost. Um, and obviously, he's got two autistic sons because these things never come really from anyone who is not connected to the situation so he's got two autistic sons and he's like oh I wanted to create a place where they could work with no hassle no trouble which is fine I have no problem you know with this situation to a point but you 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 have to look at it in a few ways because firstly right they 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 just they just talk about oh so they've created this place um and they've they've interviewed like three guys peter evan and brian and they're all like yeah no we, we you know we really enjoy it you know, you're not forced to socialize uh, and, and we can just be ourselves and blah 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 right but firstly 
the uh, the the article doesn't go into pay, right? So how much are they all getting paid? Now, are they getting paid on the normal pay scale? You know what I mean? Is anyone taking home like 40, 50 Gs? That's what that's what you need to ask yourselves. Firstly. Secondly, right? These people like Mr. Gray Benost, they they want to come off like they're these heroes, but they're getting tax breaks for this, okay, so if you've got a company and you're employing people with disabilities, you are getting a tax break from the government, right, so they don't talk about that, they never mention that, how they're getting sorted out, how their company now, uh, you know, gets to get a little money back, they're getting money every month from the government for employing these, these people, okay, and when I say these people, I'm saying these people with disability, I'm just saying you're employing, so don't lose your shit, people, all right, so they're getting a tax break, they're getting money from the government each month, they don't talk about that, the other thing is, on what point of the scale are you, are these people on, right, so you're saying, yeah, we're employing people with autistic, who, uh, we're employing people that are autistic, with autism, that's the word I've been trying to think of, right, we're employing people with autism, okay, but everyone knows it's a scale, so, what point of the scale are you employing, and what point of the scale are you not employing, right, so, are you, are you saying, oh, your doors are open to everyone, no matter where they are on the scale, because I don't believe that is true, and then, the last point that you need to think about with this, okay, the whole thing of having a mixed office, right, just one office space is that you will come across people of of different religions, of different ethnicities, of different talents, with different views, different abilities, you know, so you're coming across all of these different people, and you're learning to interact, so if you're in just an office of just holy people with autism, right, how does that benefit you, being able to interact in the real world, it, it, it doesn't, so in a way, this is a little bit of a disservice, you know, it would be better 
if you're saying, right, I've got a workplace and I'm employing people and I'm making sure that I, I've, I'm employing people with autism, you know, there's, there's not, a, I've, I've definitely, I'm, when I'm recruiting, I'm sending out to autistic job boards, I'm contacting people who, with agencies that deal with, you know, with autistic organisations, so if you were doing it like that, that's a better thing, because then you're going to have just a workplace, you, you're guaranteeing that so many people in that workplace have autism, then you're enabling a mix, you're enabling people to learn, to interact with each other, to grow like that, because yeah, if it's solely autistic, People are then at a social disadvantage. So that's the thing. It's just like, look, as I said, it's great that people have a place to work. You know, there should never be barriers for people to work. But when you create situations like this, we can't go... Oh, you are a hero. Oh, pat that person on the back. Because no, there's different factors that come into it. Tax breaks, money. But also, then you look at the on the human side of thing. How much are people actually getting paid? Right? Because you could be paying them the minimum. And people are going to be, you know, people are happy that they've got a job. So are you paying them on the normal scale? Yeah. So that. And how is it benefiting them being able to interact on a social level? So that is the thing that you have to think about. You know, it's great that people have a workplace. But there's other things, there's other factors, right? But, yeah, that's the news. Let's get on to some of the shit I've been getting on with um, this week. So, um, I, uh, I, you know, a few, a few months ago, I think it might have been in November, I went to the, um... Hayward Gallery for a, a new exhibition called Space Shifters and it was closing it was closing uh you know the first weekend of the new year so I figured let me go back have another look um see it in a different light because it was so good the first time and um it was definitely a different experience. So I made another visit to uh, the Haywood Gallery because it was the last day of their Space Shifters exhibition. Um, so I, I, I've seen it before. I went to the uh, preview night, uh, had a walk around with one of their guides, and yeah, it was great. Um, 
but I wanted to, yeah, I figured, you know, it's sort of, sometimes I like to go back and revisit, you know what I mean, just see if you missed anything, if, you know, you can get a different perspective, and, uh, yeah, so, it, that I think that was definitely the case this time, because you're walking, because I think, definitely there's more people in there, there's a lot, man, it was like, full, full completely full, to, to do the oil walk, the, the wait is an hour and a half, so that's how kind of crazy and busy it was, um, but I think it was lighter as well, so when, um, you know, seeing some of the different exhibits, especially the balls, so there's like, um, there's a load of shiny balls, like on the floor, and, uh, yeah, because it was lighter, they were they were kind of giving off this. I don't know if it was just me, but it seemed like they were kind of resonating with this, with this glow and energy, which was kind of crazy. And yeah, it it was like they were bigger, um, and they were kind of vibrating, which was just. It was weird being in a room with them. Because, yeah, it just felt like they were growing and they might absorb you, you know? So, um, that was definitely different. And, yeah, I think just a lot of the exhibitions, because you're getting different reflections off of everything, because there were so many different people in there. So, that was, yeah, it was kind of crazy in that respect. I am... Um, Ugh, oh my gosh. So there's a mirror maze, and I feel, you know, I, yes, I did go through it before, but I thought, ah, you know, mirror maze, cool. I'll take another look at that. And <laughs> there was a load of people around. I walked, I thought I was going to the entrance, and I just walked into a mirror. And I was just like, ugh. And there was this guy on the other side. A laughing his ass off. Then I went into another thing that I thought was the entrance and walked into another mirror, but this time even harder because I was definitely sure this was the entrance. And I was just gonna like fleece plant right into the frigging mirror. And you just had this uh, mum with her kid, like, see, that's why you should behave, don't run around. And I was just like, ugh. But as they say, third time lucky. <laughs> I, I, I definitely found the entrance the properly the next time. So I was just walking around with my hand in front of me to try and make sure I didn't walk into any more damn mirrors. But, um, ah, so there's this other exhibition there. Um, and there's a load of rocks and kind of objects. Uh, and it's kind of this weird kind of maze so there's this kind of this wooden kind of frame structure so you can walk through some bits and other bits are glass uh, like a mirrors kind of glass and so when you go at certain angles you're seeing like a rock but in two colors and things like that, and I, so I was, I was looking at that, 
<laughs> like before I was just like oh shit how is this happening this is crazy and um yeah I kind of <laughs> it all kind of clicked into place today when I well, yeah when I looked at it I was just like oh yeah obviously mirrors that's <laughs> that's what's doing it <laughs> oh my gosh but kids oh my god there were so many kids in there. It was doing my head in. And like kids of the age that do not give a fuck about exhibitions in galleries. You know what I mean? Like kids that will touch everything, running into everything. And these asshole parents weren't controlling them. So you had kids running into you, like tripping you up. It was just insane but luckily it did not spoil the exhibition because yeah it was it was fantastic and I'm very glad I got uh, you know a, a, a second chance to look around it and um, check out all the exhibitions but there was this there's this crazy um, big kind of purple circular um exhibition um i forget who it was by but it's um what is it it's kind of perspex or uh, uh, something and and the guy rubbed it all down um and polished it so now it's kind of got this weird reflective kind of thing so you look into it you can't see you, but you see the per- anything on the other side of it, which is kind of crazy. And then you go around, um, and the other side you see, but only the other side. But it's a bit more, oh, I don't know, kind of blurry, kind of hazy fuzz, which is kind of trippy. So, um, yeah, and I hadn't, I don't think I'd noticed that kind of aspect of it the first time because, yeah, it was a darker, it was darker. So it was, in, yeah, that was very interesting. But, yeah, no, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's like the staff are so friendly. So, yeah, any questions you can ask them. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's great. So, um, yeah, that was a Haywood Gallery, Space Shifters. But unfortunately, people, if you haven't seen it, you have missed it. Um, I don't know if it will tour or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Keep your eye because they've got a new one and that's opening in February, I believe. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see that. But yeah, I don't know, subscribe to their newsletter, join the South Bank, because you, you need to keep an eye on what's happening, because it's, um, yeah, it's great, and you do not want to miss it. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled, people, nice and peeled. Okay, so... In December 2017, I went to the South Bank Centre and I saw the London Sinfonita. Sin. 
Von Eta. Yeah, I see. God damn it. I, why did I second guess myself? So I saw the London scene of Von Eta perform Stockhausen's Trans. And it was something else. It was such a different experience. You know, it was all in the dark. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting and enjoyable. And on that night, so one of the violinists, Joanna Rurik, she was performing and we got speaking on Instagram um, and I asked her if she, you know, could come today and do an interview and yeah, she you know, was kind enough to jump on that so right now you're going to hear me converse, conversate with Johanna um, and I hope you enjoy it, here we go Okay, so I'm here with Johanna Rick, who is, I, I know, I, I just, just, people, you should see the look on her face, she's just disgusting with me, because we have practiced me trying to say her surname for the last five minutes, and I mess it up every time. Okay, <laughs> Johanna is a violinist, and she will tell you what her surname is. So it's Rurik. I mean, it's a rather not so pretty German name, to be honest, and can be quite hard to pronounce. I think most English people actually just say Rurik because they sort of, they struggle with the O umlaut, which is just Rurik, but yeah, Johanna is just fine, or Johanna. Okay, so I am dumber than most English. <laughs> I can't even get the Rurik. All right, but yes. We we are here because Johanna is a extremely talented violinist. Um, I first had the pleasure of hearing her at the Royal um, Festival Hall, yes, at the Southbank Centre, um, which was which was great. I mean, how was that for you? Was that the first time you'd played at the Southbank? actually yeah I mean that was it was a project from the Royal Academy of Music that I study at and um, there were a few players from the Academy and the rest of the players were from the London Symphony Orchestra and we were just like cooperating for that project to do some what was it actually some that was it Strum like Strum like strum or the yeah. I actually, the composer's name on my bow is a really interesting project, and it was a project with like sort of not a normal setup for a concert as well because we were playing behind that curtain, and there were sort of some theatrical components to the performance. So it wasn't it wasn't really like I wasn't that super nervous about it because I was just part of the group. But it was it was a good experience. Yeah, because it, it it was in the dark. I think that was the thing. It was meant to be in the dark, and you were a, so you could really, I think, immerse yourself in the music. So it was very 
it was very different to anything I've ever heard before. It was meant to resemble a dream that the composer had before writing this piece. Stockhausen. It's Stockhausen, of course. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And he, he had this dream about the, that particular piece. And in his dream, the setup was exactly like we had it on stage then. Now, obviously, he wrote it down, how the piece was to be performed. And um, even the light, the purple light and the curtain and the players just behind the curtain so that you can only make out their their um contours so to say and yeah so that's what they did they just took his dream and put it on stage <laughs> it, uh, it was a really interesting concert um <laughs> right so now your instagram okay so your instagram says um what is it practice violin food so <laughs> let's get into that um what led you to the violin you know, you know let, let's let's do this origin story um it's funny because i just recently i talked about that with my mom when i was home for christmas um I mean, I, I think I got into music in a very general way um, earlier than I started playing the violin. So I, I think at about age two or three, I used to go like to a singing and dancing group with just kids. And we okay. would just like move to the rhythm and clap and sing. It's like very basic music education, which I think is great for every single little kid. Mm-hmm no matter if they, I don't know, want to be a musician or not. And um, yeah, so I started doing that, I think for about like two to three years. And then when I was six, I, um, I visited a course, which was called, um, it's a German name, Instrumentenkarussell. And you would get a different instrument every, I think every two weeks. And the whole thing would last about for a few months. So I would have the cello, I would have an accordion, the flute, the clarinet, the trumpet. I would have a viola. Thank God I didn't take that. <laughs> and the violin. And my mom actually told me the violin was the very first instrument that I got to take home. And she was like, well, you came home and then like right next to the bin bags outside in the garden, you, you opened your case and you were like, mom, look, a violin. And so, yeah, so I, I, I like that very much, even though my parents, I didn't have anything to do with a violin beforehand because my parents, they're not musicians, mm. let alone violinists. So, um, yeah, the violin was the first instrument that I took home. But then I had to give it back after like two to three weeks to, to go on to the next instrument. Yeah. And then I, I passed the whole course and decided to stick with a violin. And then um, the school who offered that course wouldn't have a place for me to to get violin lessons which was actually the best thing I think that could have happened to me <laughs> because then I got to learn with a private teacher with a private teacher that lived a few a few streets apart from where my where my parents lived yeah. and she was amazing she she still is amazing she's still alive <laughs> a very a very um just amazing old gracious lady really that was such an like such an artistry soul is such an artist 
artistry soul and give her a shout out man say your name she's great no you wouldn't you wouldn't know her she she only works with little kids but she made sure that i practiced and she made i had to stay and practice if i hadn't practiced enough for a lesson so she would just like go and lock me into the next room and tell me to practice while she would while she would work with the next student and then after the next student would be finished i would have like have five minutes with her again and play play again to her no she was great and it was it was very great for me that i had the chance to work with her because she really made sure it was like there was no pressure involved in her teaching it was mm -hmm. just um yeah i just learned to play and she would be like okay now play the whole song play it a note higher and then play another note higher so she would just train my ears yeah. a lot without even without me even thinking about it and when you were you know when you were learning the music did you have kind of uh, uh, an opportunity to play things that you wanted to play or is it all dictated by her no no she picked the pieces i mean i think i i remember i would have a school but we didn't like really stick to it we didn't meticulously just go from piece to piece to piece but she would tell me no this piece and that piece but i mean at that time i didn't have anything against it because i liked the pieces and I got to play nice pieces, but she made sure that I really, I mean, many kids these days, they just, I don't know, many of them just learn pop songs because the teachers think, I don't know, to, that's, that, that was the only way to, yeah. to, to yeah. motivate a child. But I don't know, I, very early on, I learned the Bach concertos and the, how, how was it called? Ferdinand Küchler was one of the first, all the student concertos that you can easily mm. play. They sound great, they're fun, like the Bach, Vivaldi, all, all that repertoire. So I think that was great, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think kind of learning that is a foundation, yeah. you know? I, yeah, I think, yes, you know, um, a pop song could be a way of bringing someone in, but it shouldn't be the sole focus. So you know what I mean. So you so you do your foundation stuff. You do your Bach. You do your Wagner. You do you know what I mean. You do these pieces, and then you can do a pop song alongside. Or, or that's your treat. That's the cherry on top for practicing. But it shouldn't just be. We're just playing Taylor Swift today. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank God. Thank God. I didn't have that sort of teaching. Um, I'm actually, I'm very grateful because very early on, I, yeah, I just built, I don't know, a big repertoire. Even though I wasn't thinking about it, I mean, up until I was 13 or 14, I, I didn't want to be a professional violinist anyway, so it was just fun, but um, it's great that I covered that when I had the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so what was then... Uh, you know, what was the spark? What 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 brought a little thirteen-year-old to um go? I'm gonna go professional. Well, to be honest, you know, when you come in, when you when you start school, and then they have you fill out those those things about you. What's your favorite color? What's your dream job? What do you want to be when you're grown up? So 
when I had to do that, and I mean, I actually remember I was six to seven years old then, because and I had just started with a violin, and then when I got into school and I had to had to do all these things, they would ask me, well, what's your dream job? I would always say, it's either a teacher, because my mom is a teacher, or an orchestral player, <laughs> because I had just started with a violin, but I don't know, I was really fixated on orchestra playing back then. Um, I think, well, with um, 13, to answer your question, I joined the um, the youth um, youth orchestra of Hamburg, the Landes Jugend Orchestra mm-hmm. Hamburg, and um, got to play second violin in there, which I was so <laughs> proud about because I was so nervous that they wouldn't take me at all. But um, they took me, lucky me. And um, I don't know, I think, and then, then I played my first orchestral my big orchestra repertoire. I think the first play, the first piece we played was Tchaikovsky Four, right, right. and so I was so impressed by so many I don't know so many people, so many musicians playing together, and I had so much fun. And I think actually that's when it turned around for me that I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I wanna I wanna do this. And I mean, then obviously like after a few projects, I played first, and then after a few projects, I became leader of the orchestra, and that involved doing a lot of like organizational work as well and i think that that must have been when i decided i really want to do this and then i went on to i i went into a master class which was funnily it was a master class for cello but i just went there because at the time i didn't really have a teacher i had quite a hard time with teachers <laughs> but um, so yeah i went i went on that master class because a friend of mine a cello friend of mm-hmm. mine was going and he taught me, he, he, could, he could teach me just as well like, as any of a violin teacher could have at that time. And um, I think it was actually after that that I decided, well, I want to do this. Uh, okay, okay, nice. So you're in Hamburg. Yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? You're playing, you're leading the orchestra, you're doing your thing. So what then led you to the Royal Academy of Music? How did that come about? That was such an odyssey. <laughs> um, well, I, start, I decided I wanted to study when I was, as I said, about 13 or 14 years old. And then um, obviously the thing that you do, you start looking for a teacher. And for mm-hmm. me, that teacher was someone in Lübeck, which is just north of Hamburg. It's mm-hmm. not that far. So um, I started studying in Lübeck, which went well for like a few months. And then I realized, okay, I'm not like, I would go into a lesson and the teacher would say, well, that's great. I would play Tchaikovsky, the first movement for her, which was like, which is one of the big concertos. And I learned it. I, I just, I had just started learning it. And then I would take it into a lesson and she would be like, great play it again just a little faster and I was Mm. like seriously you don't have anything else to say so and that's when I realized I mean there were other problems as well like personal problems we were having the whole studio and things just weren't going that great so I swapped teachers within uni but then the teacher I swapped to he left so I was forced to leave again and then I took half a year to sort of um look for look for a new teacher yeah, and yeah, sort yeah. everything out make make, make the transition yeah. yeah so i moved back to hamburg visited a couple of master classes and on one of these master classes i met my new teacher 
who was living in Freiburg though, like he was teaching in Freiburg. So I, for him, I moved to Freiburg all across <laughs> Germany. And then when I was in Freiburg and I played the audition, which was, which, which to be honest, I was quite nervous about because there were so many people and only like two places or so. So yeah, it was two, two rounds as well. And no, but I mean, it worked out, but then he opened to me, well, now that you're here, I don't only want you to have me as a teacher, I want you to have another teacher as well. So I moved all across Germany for that teacher and then he decides I'm going to have another teacher as well. So I, there, there I was with two teachers again, which I didn't want because even at that time I felt like I had had too many teachers already. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, but does, does two teachers open you up? to new possibilities you know what I mean so like you could be with one person which is great they could be a master and you know you're learning in their way but you're only learning in their way so by having someone else it then opens you up so it gives you the dexterity to move and bend with the different styles I mean for sure it can it possibly can but I think um I think it can be great when you're really, when you're really grounded in terms of your technique and mm -hmm. you're sort of, you're a really good place with your technique, with your, all the, all the technical stuff that you need. Then it can be a great option to have a brighter horizon for um, repertoire, for yeah. example, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you have someone you work, someone whose strength it, it is to like do romantic concertos and maybe someone who does all the Baroque stuff with you. And I mean, to be honest, that's exactly what I had in Freiburg, like someone doing the romantic stuff and someone doing the Baroque stuff. But um, at that time, in that place, it just wasn't the right thing for me because when I moved to Freiburg, I, um, I had problems with my hands because my technique wasn't on point. And so I would always, I would practice a lot and then I would get pain from the practice. I would get physical pain from playing because I just wasn't I wasn't relaxed enough and I I didn't know what I was doing well enough yeah. which is where physical problems come from so um at that point it was just I don't know annoying and confusing and I mean in the best case you have you do different repertoire with the two teachers you have then but at that point I just couldn't I just couldn't practice so much because I had to focus on a few things and First of all, I had to focus on getting rid of my physical pain. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I don't know, it was just confusion, really. And then I would take the same pieces to both of the teachers and they would contradict each other, of course. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. And that's when I, when I applied for an Erasmus to go to London. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I see where you're coming from. That, yeah, when you, at a certain place, a certain thing can be good, but you need to, to be able to have those tools to be able to get to that spot. Yeah, yeah. You have to be ready to take it in. And, I mean, the academy, for example, they offer something like that, that you can have extra lessons with someone who does Baroque stuff with you. But I think... Um, when you're in the middle of your studies and in the middle of your bachelor, I think two teachers are probably just confusing. Not confusing, but just, I don't know, it's just better if you have someone you can really focus on and you can really trust without a doubt. And 
yeah yeah no that that yeah makes sense you know so you applied for the academy so what was that process man let let, let us know how how did you get get from germany over to here yeah that was that was a big thing for me to be honest because um i remember i was on a train somewhere in germany and then i spoke to a friend who at that time was doing an erasmus at the guildhall school which is in london as well and she told me about it and i was like oh my god it sounds so amazing i want to do that as well it was actually a friend um who i had been studying with in lubeck like at my very first university and um well, she told me about it, and I was like, oh, my God, I want to do it as well. So um, I spoke to the responsible people at the Freiburg University, and they told me everything I had to do because, like, applying for Erasmus is so much paperwork. It was, like, that big of, of like, how do you say, a stack of papers. So, like a phone book. For every single university, and I did that for, no, I, I, yeah, I applied for four unis, I think, the three big ones in London, like the Royal College, Guildhall, the Academy, mm-hmm. and the Conservatoire in Paris. Right. And um, yeah, I applied. I had to record a DVD, send it in, get like recommendation letters, write my own motivation letters. And I mean, the people in Freiburg, right from the beginning, they were like, no, like, don't get your hopes up because with the academy, we have never ever had a student who got accepted before. And if they got accepted, they had to pay tuition. And I mean, I knew from the beginning that if if they would take me, but without paying for my tuition, which is then, it's called a year in, an exchange year and not an Erasmus year, then that wouldn't have been possible for me. So, um, I don't know, well... Anyway, I applied and then I think all my applications actually went through except for the one at the college because the University of Freiburg doesn't have a cooperation with the Royal College. So I got accepted at the Academy, then I got accepted at Guildhall, which ended in a big confusion later on because they called me, where are you? You have orchestral auditions. And I was like, I'm at the Academy. I'm not actually your student. Oh. And then that was so funny. That was such a big mess up. And then, um, yeah, even my application in Paris got accepted, but I didn't go because I don't speak a word of French. And um, yeah, so I was. That's when I when I got accepted for my Erasmus. And then I liked it so much from the very first day because the academy is quite different from the schools in Germany in general like what they do for you, what they offer you, the mere feeling that they give you as a student, as in you're valuable and we l- want to look after you and you need to take care of yourself and we're here for you every step of the way. Opposed to <laughs> you're just a student and if you don't do your theory class, we're just going to throw you out, which is what many German uni- universities are like. Yeah, so I decided um, that I wanted to stay a bit longer and ask for another Erasmus term which then got approved so that I had a whole Erasmus year which is quite um I don't know it doesn't that ho- that often I think so I was very lucky to be there for a whole year and then um yeah I auditioned for the masters not really thinking much about it because um at the time where I had to audition for the masters that was only two or three months after I had actually moved to London and 
I was having quite a rough start so I actually I didn't really want to stay but I auditioned anyway because I thought okay I'm here it would be quite stupid not to do it and then I don't know then it worked out and an hour after the audition they they gave me like that incredible presenter that I was playing on so they were basically just like bribing me to stay (laughs) so um no yes I stayed nice so mad is kind of like all kind of just fell into place yeah 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 no that's awesome so one thing you said about um when you're in freiburg that your hands were hurting because of the you know the technique now how do you like protect like your hands your wrists and i guess your neck like is there exercises like what 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 do you do or is it just a matter of technique well i think there are many components to it um like i mean when i came to freiburg i had the problems already and i was i was close to just giving up and become a personal trainer <laughs> uh, yeah prior to moving to freiburg because um while i was in lubeck and looking for a new teacher it was it's sort of around that time i i was doing a master class because i was yeah as i said i was looking for new teachers yeah. i was doing a master class and there was a competition involved so i practiced really hard for that competition which had like solely virtuosic repertoire so it was hard on the hands all that virtuosic stuff is really hard especially if you don't have a technique that is ready for it yeah. Because it doesn't have to be hard. The most important thing when playing all of that is like to always find that relaxed feeling again in your hands. Because mm-hmm. if you're just trying to force it through, you're just going to hurt yourself. Which is exactly what happened to me. Because at that time, I was just practicing way too much, A, for the competition. And B, I was doing a lot of um, weightlifting. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> that violin be heavy, right? Violent behavior, yeah, right. So uh, I think that was one of the problems. I think because I wouldn't have any time to just for my hands and my arms and my whole shoulder, everything to relax after a workout because I would just either be on the violin or be in the gym. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the problems. And I mean, I learned a lot from that. And I'm actually glad that it happened to me at that point and not at a point like later in life where I'm having a job and where I really have to redo my whole life because of it. Because so many people at some point face it. And I think it's really important to have the time and the patience to work through, which is exactly what I did. Like I went to Freiburg to work with that teacher because he he's great to sort out people who have physical problems and he can exactly tell you where you have too much tension and where you should relax more and everything. So I think that's one point of looking after your hands, the technique. To, to get back to your question, the technique is definitely one of the most important points. But then um, I think what you do in terms of physical exercise to stay healthy is really important as well. Like lifting, especially everything that involves a lot of, that you have to grab a lot of weight with your hands might not be the best thing. Even mm. though I used to say otherwise, but I actually, I sort of changed my mind on it. I also feel like 
that the higher muscle tension that you get from lifting, it's not, I mean, because that's why you go and do weightlifting, right? To get a higher muscle tension. Yeah. It's not exactly beneficial for playing for all these little fast movements mm. that you need. And so I do, I do yoga now. I do yoga every morning and in the afternoons, evenings, most of the days when I have the time. And so that's the second point. I always try to keep my hands warm, especially now in winter, obviously. Always wear gloves. I would never like do anything. Sometimes, even when I go like, even when I go running in summer or like in autumn, spring, whatever. But even in summer, sometimes I wear gloves when I go running, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm just scared of falling and then I don't know hurting my hands. Oh, but yeah. it's it's not yeah. like I was like overly anxious about it. And I actually yeah. So yoga to just keep your keep your back healthy because everything obviously everything all the problems that you have in your neck and your shoulders they radiate into your arms and another point which i feel is important is nutrition because i, I don't know if you're not healthy as if your whole body isn't healthy obviously you're going to have inflammation you're going to have it easier than maybe someone no if if you but yeah if your body isn't health, healthy, you're going to have it easier than healthier people. Yeah, yeah. So that means if you practice a lot, the way that your muscles are able to recover, it's just as a normal workout. When you work out a lot, people are advised to eat healthily so that they recover faster. And I mean, we basically sometimes, some days we work out like five, six, seven hours by playing in one setup. Mm -hmm. it, it, it may be an... Um, so I think that's definitely I well I've realized that when I have too much coffee for example like my my arms just my muscles just feel different. Oh okay. So I think that's that's a big point too many people ignore. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely a combination of all those points. Okay. Oh and stretching. To everyone listen stretch. <laughs> stretch. It's, it's a couple of very basic stretches which you can do like over the day I do it every day before I start practice even even if I don't have the time to do yoga I stretch my arms my hands my fingers yeah no that all that definitely makes sense like I do yoga and yeah it, you know it's definitely but you really notice the benefits of doing it so I can imagine how yeah. it could be of help to you like, so, one thing I, I was wondering, do you have a favorite piece of music that you like to play as a soloist and then within a group? Um, either. As a soloist with orchestra, I mean, to be fair, I have to say before answering your question, I, I have this habit that I am always deeply in love with the pieces that I have to practice at the moment, yeah. which comes yeah. in very handy because that means I put in the work mm. and then I move on to the next piece by the time I have enough of the old piece and by the time I've played it in concert and then I move on to the next one and then I find myself in deeply in love with the next piece. <laughs> So, um, I don't really have my favorites. I, I think 
like what I what my favorite thing about playing is or are the emotions that you're able to express and you don't really need a fixed piece for that like you can find love in every piece you can find pain in every piece you can find despair in every piece so it doesn't matter so much which composer's language you use to to express that and to find that sound on your instrument is is any piece easier than another though like have you come across a piece that's just like god damn it that's yeah that's a tricky piece yeah sure it, it happens when you play when you play pieces by a composer who didn't know too much about the violin for example some composers were violinists as well for example i mean beethoven for example his concerto is just it's it's amazing and it's it's so well written for the violin in a way or can i think of and then there's sibelius of course who had to revise his concerto because people thought it was unplayable like the the, the version of the sibelius concerto that people play or that everyone plays mm -hmm. except cover costs that can just do everything um is the second version actually of it where he took out so many difficulties already because it just wasn't it wasn't playable yeah. so obviously and i mean as i mentioned all the student concertos so obviously they're easier they're harder things have you tried the first version of the no, concerto no, no i haven't <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, what do you like to listen to, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, I don't listen to a lot of music, which, um, which is bad, because sometimes I don't even want to listen back to my own recordings after concerts, which would be beneficial for me, I think, but um, I actually, I quite enjoy it when it's quiet, and yeah because like after a day of practice just silence is all i need to be honest i mean sometimes i listen to music but it might not even be classical music then because if there's classical music in the background it's like we were having a conversation and some german person would start talking right next to me it, it would be so distracting for me like because i would always have to listen like what's that person yeah. saying and it's sort of the same with classical mm. music because as, as soon as I hear something, I really, I have to listen and pay attention to it. No, 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 but that's fine. Like, is there any, you know, pop, rap, jazz, rock, anything like that that you, you know what I mean, you like to listen to? Any podcasts you like to listen to? Oh, I listen to podcasts a lot. Like, I, I like to listen about to learn about all these like health related nutrition related things and how the like about the human body about science about um like you know all those mindfulness mm -hmm. podcasts so I've, I've just started listening to enough podcasts which are like deals with your habits on a daily basis because i'm like yeah i'm always looking to I don't know, get better, improve, N not just violinistically, but also on a personal basis. Yeah, yeah. Like how to be more grateful, how to be more mindful. And yes, yeah, so I, I, I listen to podcasts a lot. Cool. But and um, what's your favorite podcast? 
I don't really have one to be honest. I've only just recently started listening to them, but um, there there are a few there, but I couldn't name any at the moment to be honest. You 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 couldn't name any. No. So not even the one you're on right now. God damn it, Joanna. <laughs> no, no. Oh man, no, that's cool. Okay, no. And do you go to like any live concerts or any anything like that? See music live, or do you prefer like comedy or poetry or anything? Well, if friends invite me, then I go to their concerts to hear them play. But um, it's pretty much the same as with listening to music, to be honest. And I mean most of the days i don't have the time and um or i'll be in a concert myself i'll be playing in a concert myself or yes i just it doesn't happen that often it happens sometimes if i have a particular reason to go to a concert particular person that i want to listen to but other than that yeah (laughs) (laughs) so like um how how long how many hours a day do you practice would you say oh it varies it varies i never do more than five that has always been like my my limit but i i might play more than five like Mm -hmm. if i say practice i mean being at home very practice in a concentrated way but if i have orchestra projects or chamber music projects it easily might i don't know add up to eight nine hours but that's just rehearsal then, so it's not that exhaustive. Yeah. Or it actually, it can be just as ex- just as exhaustive. But um, it's not mere practice time then. Yeah, it's a, di- it's a different kind of way. Yeah. yeah, you just sit around. You do what others say, <laughs> and um, yeah, you're sort of you, you're not your own. You just have to do what someone else tells mm-hmm. you to do. Yeah, and in a year, how many um, how many gigs? would you say how many concerts would you say that you kind of do that's really hard to say and again it, it um it depends on what kind of gig or concert you're talking about i mean gigs like playing somewhere just to get the money i, I don't i don't know there there are gigs there are recitals there are chamber music concerts orchestral concerts concerts as a soloist and it, it it also like happens and it's it's not that regular for example just november and december i had three different programs as a soloist but then in before that like in september and october i wasn't playing any so um it really it varies okay um what's 2019 looking like for you have you got anything re- exciting coming up yeah, uh, I'm going to Brazil for the first time oh. in my life. Yeah, to teach and to play a few concerts. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Teaching it's, in Brazil. It's, it's, quite, it's quite exciting, yeah. <laughs> I'm so nervous alone, like, about where I'm going to live because they wanted to put me in a hotel, and I was like, no, I prefer an Airbnb. And, but then the people were like, no, you can't stay there, it's not safe. You yeah. can't stay there, it's not safe. Yes. And I, I feel like the whole city is not safe. <laughs> So um, I really hope it's going to be okay, yeah. yeah. 
No, I, I, I hear, like, you know what I mean? A hotel, you're, you're golden in a hotel. But, yeah, you, you just, there's... It's not about walking outside at certain, at certain times of night and, and things like that. So you just, like, but other times you'll be fine. Maybe during the day, hopefully it's going to be fine. Yes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, during the day, I think you can walk around. As long as you don't go into, like, fahelas and things like that, you're golden. Yeah. But if you go out at night, it's trouble. Yeah, no, so I'm just going to stay in. <laughs> How long will you be in Brazil for? Uh, I think two weeks at least, if not more. I'm I'm quite I'm I'm not that sure about like the days at the moment, but um I think it's gonna be two weeks at the very least. Nice. So, like, is that the biggest thing so far this year? Well, then after that, there are some concerts in London where I'm gonna be playing. From from the looks of it, the Carmen Fantasy again, and some works by Juan Williams, The Lark, again. English people are crazy about it. And um, <laughs> not your not your favorite piece. No, I like it. It's just I've played so many times, <laughs> but no, I like it. It's it's a nice piece, and um, yeah, there are some other projects over the summer who are yet to be confirmed. Mm-hmm. And some recitals, which I'll be playing here and in Germany, and orchestra projects, and yeah. Okay, like, so you about the lark. Is there certain piece? What's like the piece that you kind of probably play the most? Is there one of those? It's definitely one of those. Yeah, it's the lark. Like, as in two for um, solo with orchestra. It's the lark. And I mean, I played it in recitals, so I might have played it in concerts like after ten times. I think, like after ten different occasions, the Lark is one of them. Carmen Fantasy is one of them. A Bach concerto I just played one of them. And then like yeah, all the recital pieces like a specific sonatas like the Frank Sonata. You just I don't know. I've played it a million times. The Chacon I've played it so many times. And I don't know, but these are just pieces that the public really likes as well. So yeah, why yeah, shouldn't you yeah. be playing them? Yeah, kind of like your jazz standards that yeah, yeah. always yeah. get covered and played and yeah. done again and again. I really like it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just beautiful music mm. and it doesn't get old. So why not play it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, you've been at the Royal Festival Hall. Um and you know, like just looking at your Insta, like the, the different places you play, you played in some really nice venues. Like, is is there a favorite venue for you? If, like, is there a favorite type of venue as well? Type of venue, I like the big halls, but um, they're just I don't know concert halls. Like in Hamburg, we just got the Philharmonie, which is definitely one of my favorite concert halls. I don't actually know why, because I think it's just because I grew up in Hamburg, and then mm-hmm. like from when I was fourteen or fifteen, they were starting to to plan plan on building it, yeah, and then yeah, things yeah. went so wrong that it took them so much longer, and it took so much more money. So it was also like it, it was a big thing all yeah. the time, and um, now that it's finished, it's just it's brilliant. 
I just read an article today that it it covers itself from the cost. Oh, okay. Like it it sells so many tickets and gets so much money that um yeah, it doesn't need any extra funding, which is quite I think impressive for a concert for a classical concert hall. So that's mm. that's definitely one of my favorite concert halls. Okay. And is there any <coughs> any concert halls that you really would like to play in and you haven't done yet like maybe Sydney Opera you know what I mean just like any kind of places that are just like ah, oh, I'd love to play there well Carnegie of course who doesn't want to play at Carnegie but um yeah Carnegie or all the big halls obviously Vienna which I think they're quite easy to get in when you just when you when you play in an orchestra so many student orchestras they do tours and yeah, then yeah, yeah. you get in there with just like that but um it's just i haven't done too much orchestra playing within the last years so i haven't been in many of them which is why though i have been at a few smaller halls as a soloist mm -hmm. but um yeah it, it's it's not really something to prepare i think like i've played here but then i haven't played there so it's it's not the most important thing. No, no. Do you notice a different kind of resonance in some halls? Uh, you know what I mean? A different projection oh, of yeah. the sound? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, especially... I mean, I just played in Hamburg at the Leishalle, which is sort of a really traditional hall with the audience on one side and the stage on the other. Mm -hmm and you're sort of in a shell on stage so you have this really nice background which projects into the hall so you feel very comfortable your own sound gets projected to yourself straight away so you can hear what you're doing so you get an imminent reaction from the hall which is really comfortable and for example the Philharmonie is sort of built in a more modern way where the audience is sort of wraps around the stage right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that hall, I mean, I played there in March as as um, leading the the um, how are they called the Junge Norddeutsche Philharmonie, and in that hall, to be honest, and I think I'm not the only one. Like I spoke to colleagues, in that hall, I felt so uncomfortable because the sound just vanishes. It vanishes into all directions, and you don't really get the feeling that it mixes well on stage. Right, Although, right. like, the feedback that we got from the hall was just fine, that it makes us great, it sounds great, but on stage, you feel really alone. <laughs> so, w yeah, when you're on stage, you, you want to hear the music. You, you want to be enveloped by that sound. Well, it just gives you reassurance. It calms you if you hear your sound, if you hear that you sound good, if that your sound is good. It's better than just, I don't know, just knowing in a way the sound it is going to happen, the sound, but yeah. you're not part of it anymore because you just send it out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, then it happens a couple of meters out in the hall. So I don't know. I'm, I'm more comfortable, and I think many musicians are, with the first, with the first um, way of hearing mm -hmm. yourself. Okay. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, uh, cool. I, yeah, I wonder if that's a consideration when people build. How the musicians feel? Yeah. I don't think so, 
you know, because it, it seems a lot of times it's like, how many seats can we get into this place? And it's like, yeah, do you think about the resonance? Do you feel about, you know, the feedback for the, for the well, seat? They definitely, sound engineers definitely think about resonance because after all, I mean, I think a really famous Asian um, sound engineer built the Alt Philharmonie. So he's one of the best. And obviously, I mean, the whole sounds great. But I don't think that they necessarily think about how musicians are going to feel on stage, mm. and I mean that that's different for 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 every musician anyway. So it's quite a personal thing. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So um, yeah, 2019. Um, like any plans for joining an orchestra or anything like that, or are you just you know what I mean? You happy to be a free bird? No, at the moment, I mean, I'm s I'll still be studying until 2020. And um, so no, no plans of joining an orchestra. I mean, some people do that during their studies, but I don't know, for me, I feel like it would just be, it would be a waste of my valuable time to spend at the academy if I just join an orchestra and spend more time and not spent the time that I do have now still mm -hmm. with my teacher and learning new things. Okay, yeah, no, that's great. All right, well, um, is there anything else you, you, you'd like to say? Anything else I'd like to say? Awesome. Any other plans you've got, you know what I mean? Anything else coming up? Well, no, I, I actually, I'm just going to... I don't know, my next year is just going to be like all the other years where with mixed performances and yeah, I hope to play at a few festivals again and to actually but have a holiday as well, a part away from my violin mm -hmm. this summer, which didn't work out last summer. So um, yeah, it's just going to be a good mix. Awesome. Like, you know, just... Just a quick one, because you, you know, in a holiday away from your violin, I can imagine, you know, yeah, the way like maybe gigs come up that that can be difficult. But how do you relax? What is your kind of thing to kind of just chill and separate yourself? Oh, I do yoga. I do yoga and I like to read and, as I said, listen to these podcasts and just to go out have a walk in nature or my I, I just had a really beautiful holiday which well, I actually didn't go anywhere I just spent time with my family at home over the Christmas period and mm. we didn't do anything we didn't have any events that we had to go to we didn't have a, literally my mom was like I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna book tickets for the musical I'm gonna book tickets for the theater and for the opera and I was like no mom please don't just don't do it <laughs> so we just stayed at home and ate together three times a day and had many really like intense conversations and just time and time together and sitting on the couch good talks watching movies together so that was that was a really really beautiful time that we had and that was just i think what every one of us needed like i don't really need an exciting holiday or exciting events to go to because i have so many so exciting events in my day-to-day -day life so um i think that's pretty much it yeah right and uh who cooked christmas dinner 
Oh, my mom did actually. <laughs> well, it, it, it was a bit. It was a bit complicated to be honest because when we were planning what she would cook, my sister still was a vegan, and I was like, "No, mom, I need meat." And <laughs> she was like, uh, "She was. She was just desperate because everyone wanted to have something different." But then my sister visited me in London just before Christmas, and she was with me like for a few hours and already she wasn't a vegan anymore <laughs> so <laughs> when we came home for christmas we just had chicken and we just had something that everyone else could that, that everyone could eat so, and it was really tasty she made great chicken and vegetables and what else yeah like where um we did sort of we did a specific diet all together over the holidays which mm -hmm. was really good for us to to recover to get healthy again and so we pretty much ate like that even on christmas eve but that was just meat and vegetables so it was just what everyone wanted nice <laughs> well no it's been fantastic talking to you i really appreciate appreciate your time um, wh where would people be able to hear you next? What's the next place you'll be playing? Hamburg. Hamburg in um, mid-February. I'll be playing three recitals there. And yeah, with a pianist from London and a really nice repertoire with two sonatas by Mozart and Schubert and the variations on an original theme by Wieniawski. And a couple of other pieces, which we still need to figure out and wrap around those three big pieces. That's going to be in Hamburg. But all the dates are on my website as well and on my Instagram and everything. <laughs> Great. I'll put those details in um, the, the episode um, description for sure. Oh, one thing I forgot to ask. So... If someone they they've not really they've not really heard classical before, is there a piece of music you would recommend them to listen, and would that be a different piece to go see? Oh, um, you mean to listen as opposed to listen in a concert? Yeah. So if they're listening at home, or and then if they're going to a concert. Well, I think if they go into a concert, they should definitely listen to like one of the big symphonies by Mahler, maybe just because they're so impressive when you see like 200 people on stage yeah. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, yeah. an orchestra just across the hall and another choir on your left side and <laughs> another group of, of brass on your right side because that's just so impressive. But obviously you can't have that at home. So maybe when you're at home, I don't know, some, some Bach music, for a violin solo, like the Chaconne, for example, or the Chopin, the, the Chopin Preludes, Preludes, Nocturnes, whatever, <laughs> for a piano solo. So those are quite, those are my, f like one, some of my favorite pieces. And I listen to them all the time. So they're beautiful. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no, that's really useful. Um, and when will you play, be playing in London next, or just the UK in general? I don't know, actually, I think there is a concert in June, some solo concerts in October. I actually, I, I would have to have a look. I think it's June. 
but there might well be some no there's some chamber music projects before in march okay well you know people can look at your insta they can look at your website and um yeah be able to get to enjoy um listening to you play some classical music well, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, this is Echoes from the Void. We've been talking to Johanna Rorick. <laughs> who is a great violinist and, as you've heard, a vegan killer. All right, well... <laughs> It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. So, over the Christmas break, Luther was back. That's right. Neil Cross is gritty uh, crime investigation series. Has been on for, but it's had four seasons. And over the beginning of January, the fifth season aired. And it starred Idris Elba again, reprising his role as DCI John Luther. We had Dermot Crowley um, back as DCS, DSU Martin Shank. Um, Michael Smiley was Benny Silver once more. We had Alice Morgan as um, the uh, very crazy Ruth Morgan. And newcomer one me. Mosaku was Detective Sergeant Catherine Holiday. Uh, and so, um, you know, the, the breakdown was this. When a series of seemingly indiscriminate killings become ever more audacious, Luther and new recruit DS Catherine Holiday are confounded by a tangle of leads and misdirection that appears designed to protect an untouchable com- corruption. To make matters more complex, the son of Luther's old adversary, George Cornelius, has gone missing. And to be, and he believes the detective has something to do with it. Okay, so probably if you haven't watched the season, you probably need to be aware that there will be spoilers because it's going to be difficult to talk about this without. Okay. Um. Season 5 consisted of four episodes. And, you know, I think straight away, 
you could kind of see where this was going. Look, they, they, you know, the show starts. You know, a guy getting chased by someone in a car, and the car's just smashing down gates. You know, I mean, like this guy can't get away, but oh, he runs into um, a maze of uh, shipping crates. <clears throat> So he's running down different kind of alleyways in the shipping crate maze. The car stops. Someone gets out. It's Luther. And he just strolls, 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 strolls. Oh, and he's at the exact point where the person is going to run out from. Clotheslines them and he takes the person in. And and so, you know, that's just a preposterous event. Because this guy's been running, running, running. Luther's just walking. So there's no way he could have got to that point and known the exact point. You know what I mean? So but what they're saying is this is a bad ass. He's going you know what I mean? Because he didn't take him in nicely clothesline the motherfucker you know what I mean so it's just like look he's gonna do anything he's a bad guy he'll smash down fences whatever it takes he's gonna do it yeah but all the seasons have kind of built up to that anyway so you know you didn't necessarily have to have this beginning but it it's setting it's reminding us how crazy Luther is and yeah, then then you've got these murders, these weird murders, and these these weird situations. But there was a lot of things that kind of didn't make sense. You know, you have the like the 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 kid knocking, like knocking on the door, but it was in a way that you're like, okay, this is different. You know what I mean? The woman could tell something was different was there. But also, you you know, you have the kid running. My man, the killer, is just walking. So how'd he catch him? You know what I mean? Like, how'd he... Is, 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 like, you have all these kind of weird little things that make no sense. Because he caught him close to the house. He was running, so he would have been close to the house. So you have this, but it's kind of telling us that there, you know, something's crazy going on. And then we see a connection between um, the guy and the psychiatrist. So you're like, hmm, what's you know what's going on? What's going on? Season two, episode two starts, and again. It's showing, like, Ruth gets captured, oh, but she breaks away, you know what I mean? She kicks everyone's ass, kills them all, boom, Ruth is a badass motherfucker. Again, we know this already, but yeah, it's it's trying to set the tone, you know, and, and the story's continuing, and you have all these kind of threads building, building, building. You know, I think that there was a lot that was 
showing that this was like things weren't normal but for some reason they're not really looking into it and it's just like look George Cornelius how is it he can firstly he you know beat up Luther at the beginning how is that you know how how let them like surely you you can arrest him on that but no that he just get Luther just leaves him alone and then when you know he's kidnapped Benny and you're just like you could call that in you could call that there was a lot of situations in this that could have just been called in that didn't have to go a certain way and they weren't going to get like Luther in trouble you know what I mean like doing this one thing wouldn't get Luther in trouble but he, it, it, but no, it, it's it's going. Look, no, he he's so badass. But that's got nothing to do with being badass. These decisions had nothing to do with being badass. They had nothing to do with, you know, oh, I'm living dangerously, kind of thing. So it doesn't make any. It didn't make any sense for the for certain situations to have built up in a in a way that they did and when you're showing um the situation why why Luther left roof and came back that didn't make any sense but you go oh look if i was there i could have saved people I could have stopped. It was just, it was just a ridiculous thing to kind of build it on. Yeah, if you wanted to show them split up, it, you could have done it any other way. But that, it was just, you know, it, it was just a silly way of doing it. You know, but but you know, they're trying to build this situation because at the beginning. Look, we're shown they're badass motherfuckers. Then you're 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 showing them being pushed away. So when they meet up, it's like, oh shit, we're back, we're back together, you know. And there was still this tension. There was still this thing. We have them kiss, but now you have to drive them away. You have to cause this wedge between them. You have to make it to a point where it's all gonna go sour, and so yeah, you 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 get to this thing, and it was just like the killing of Catherine. It 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 it, it didn't make any, it didn't make any sense. It wasn't needed. For the story. Wasn't needed for the story. And. At the end. At the end. You you just have. Um, you know. 
Luther's been arrested. So they're ending the season with Luther being arrested in handcuffs. But no one's buy look you can't buy this situation when they've got cctv footage of like george getting out the car so they've got it from that angle then we see cctv well we see the picture of 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 luther standing over with the gun but we've got cct footage of george coming in so they should they, they, you know, they'll firstly there will be footage of george shooting the guy then it's just a bullet you can take the bullets that's all you It's a simple thing. They will see that the bullet wasn't from Luther's gun. It's a simple process. Like all of it, there is clear footage that, you know, like evidence that Luther didn't do these things. Like, you, you, you know, there's, you can show from the gun that Luther didn't kill Catherine. You can show from the guns that Luther didn't kill Benny. You can show from the guns that Luther didn't kill the other, the, the hired gun. So it like it's all there. Now, you you can have like Luther sacked, and then you could have the series go on as Luther as just a private eye kind of thing, but. You know, Luther's not getting f going to get put away for any of these murders. That's just uh, a, a silly thing. And the whole, it was just a bit crazy with the, you know, Ruth going, Oh, I thought you brought me here as bait. Bum, 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 bum. And it's just like, he saw the uniform. So all he has to do is go, no, upstairs there was uniform, so it showed that he wasn't there. Boom. It's a simple, but Luther's standing there all quiet and shit. It's like, what? Why? He doesn't stand there all quiet and shit. Luther opens his mouth. He always does. So it was just a weird situation that they, that they forced at the end to try and go, oh no, time's up, Luther's finally been caught, boom, you know, it's, it's just, it's not, when you break it down, you can't buy any of it, so, like, the se if you just watch the season and don't, you mean, turn off, it's, it, you know, it's fun, it's good, it's okay, but when you really look at it, it's all forced, it's very, it's, it's very forced and manipulated to try and create a situation where you have Luther at the end in trouble, but it it's too forced, it's too, 
stylized in a way so you just don't buy it. That's the problem. You know what I mean? Watch it. Um, yeah, watch it and don't think too hard. And you'll definitely enjoy it, you know. But if you think, if you really think about it, and when I say you really think about it, I'm not talking about anything like you know stopping it, pausing, looking for clues. No, I'm just saying if you just think, <laughs> if you just think normally, <laughs> you know, you you see everything that is happening and how it's happening. But I'm saying, like, if you just switch off, switch off, don't think. You're, it's, it's, you will fully enjoy it, you know. And if you've watched the previous seasons, yeah, it's all good. But you think about it, doesn't it doesn't work like it, you know, like it's trying to make it be. But, yeah. These things happen, you know. This is what it is. So, I think season. If it's clearly there will be a season six, or they'll just try and round it out with this film that they've been talking about for ages. It needs to be something different, and they need to choose. They need to choose. Go look. Are we gonna have Luther just go completely off the reservation? Or not, you know, make that decision because you've take now taken it to a place where you can't go anywhere else. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But yeah, that you know, season five, you'll be able to find it on the iPlayer. Um, I know it's hitting um, BBC America. I, I, it may have already played if it has all good um but yeah this that's that's Luther season five people with mortal engines at the cinema I figured before I go see it I should uh read the books first so I um went to audible and picked up the first in the Hungry City series, um, Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve, um, and read by Barnaby Edwards. So, um, you know, those who don't know this, the story is London is a city on wheels, a future city like you've never known before. In the terrible aftermath of the 60-minute war, cities which survived the apocalypse became predators, chasing and feeding on smaller towns. Now London is hunting down its prey, getting ready to feed. But as the chase begins, Tom uncovers a secret, a secret full of deadly consequences. Soon he is plunged into a world of unlike, like, un, ugh, unkillable enemies, threatened by a weapon that will tear his life apart. 
um, yeah, so I was um, definitely eager to to check out this book. You know, hearing a lot, a lot of fun things about it. You know, this vast universe, the creativity and fantastic story and everything like that. Um, and yeah, at at the beginning. I I was definitely interested. I I was kind of, um, you know, waiting for the revelations, waiting for this new world to unravel around me. But um, I think, I think it, like, there's a thing that happened at the very... Yeah, pretty much at the very beginning with Tom. And that kind of really just made the book a bit kind of untenable to really engage with. Because you, 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 this thing happens... And then you're like, well, I, you know, how's someone coming out of that unscathed? The fact that it was just like, oh, and yeah, and ba ba boom, and he walks away. And it was just a bit like, oh, come, no. Just, I, I really know where this is, you know. And then it just became pretty, I think, predictable on where everything was going you know especially when you have the bit of Catherine listening at the door and hearing everything and the book stated she heard what she heard and walking away going oh you know I don't know what to believe <laughs> and she's like but you heard it all said. What are you talking about? Like, if she had walked away going, I, I need a, a second, you know, I need a second opinion. I, I need to verify this fact. This can't be, this, oh man, how can this be true? This is crazy. Then you'd be like, okay, fine. But the fact she's walking away going, I really don't know what to believe. It, you know, like it can't be, you know, oh, I just, he just said this and this. And then completely omitting everything else that was said. It was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know where this is going. You know, it, it's just, ugh. So, you know, you just, I just kind of felt that the book, like, with, with, with trying to create this new universe, which at the beginning you think, oh, this has definitely got, um, it, it, it's definitely got scope, but having things just, named after things that we know kind of like at first you think uh well I can kind of understand but then it just seems a bit 
easy. You know what I mean? Just throw in all these references to to things that have happened and stuff we know. And then everyone's going to think, oh, lovely. Oh, it's great. And it just seemed a bit easy. Then the rest of the story, I've, I, I pretty much knew everything that was going to happen. You know, there was nothing new here. There was no inventive ways to um, get from A to B to C. It was all by the dots and pretty predictable, really, which was such a shame. And then there was other things that you just think, but how is that possible? Especially the whole situation with Hester. When you hear that, and it's just like, oh yeah, so, you know, afterwards I I left, and then I just hid. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you hid? So you didn't seek a doctor? Wait, so there was no doctor? Um, then you probably would, well, no, there's no probably about it. You would be dead. Septis would have <laughs> would have taken you. There's no way. Yeah, and uh, uh, especially with with her leg. And it was like, all right. So how is the leg a big deal? But the other thing didn't kill you. It's like makes no sense whatsoever. So you you have things like this happening that you're just like wait no 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 that that's just not gonna happen and then the main gist of the story that was just ever so predictable I just couldn't I just couldn't engage like for me the book was just mortal mortally flawed which was yeah just a shame you know it's a four book series so I was thinking ah well this will be fun you know four new books to check out but I just after the end and hoping it wasn't gonna end away I basically saw it ending and then it does I was just I'm just completely uninterested in checking out anything else you know i have to say barnaby edwards he he does a, a fine job of narrating there's no issues there it's just a story itself just a story itself just underwhelmed me i i do kind of feel though if this was one of the first books I've read, then, yeah, I I probably would have loved it. But after reading a wealth of, um, <clears throat> you know, fantasy, sci-fi, you know, these kind of books, it's, it just doesn't then compare. It doesn't live up. And you're just like, I've seen it all before, but done better. But yeah, I, I think if 
if this was given to someone younger, like one of their first books, one of their first series, I I do think they would probably lap it up. Because if if you haven't read all the other books, if you haven't read this. these kind of things in other places this would all be new and I think you you definitely be able to um you know traverse it without any feeling of tiredness yeah I yeah I, I I feel that um but you know maybe look if you're a fan of things like Unlondon, um, Rail Sea, I I think you could this could possibly be the thing for you. Um Yeah. Uh things like maybe the the, the hidden library, um burning season. You know that kind of stuff. If you if you like those, then yeah, this this you could probably be down with this book, but um, who knows? I do wonder now because of the film, seeing you know footage of the film, trailers, posters, that kind of stuff. You do look at like Hester and some of the things and think. Huh. What the hell did they do there? So yeah, I'm not sure I'm gonna borrow the film now, but who knows? We'll see. But yeah, this was Mortal Engines. Um the first in the Hungry uh City series by Philip Reeve, read by Barnaby Edwards. So I went back to the folly. And read Whispers Underground, which is the third book in the Rivers of London series by Ben Aranovich. And again, narrated by Kobner Holbrook-Smith. Um, so, the book is about this. Peter Grant is learning magic fast, and it's just as well. He's already had runnings with the deadly supernatural children of the Thames and a terrifying killer in Soho. Progression in the police force is less easy, especially when you work in a department of two, a department that doesn't even officially exist, a department that if you did subscribe describe it to most people would get you laughed at and then there's his love life the last person he fell for ended up seriously dead it wasn't his fault but still now something horrible is happening in the labyrinth of tunnels that make up the tube system that honeycomb the ancient foundations of london and delays on the northern line is the very least of it. Time to call in the Met's Economic and Specialist Crime Unit 9, a.k.a. The Folly. Time to call in PC Peter Grant, 
Britain's Last Wizard. Uh, this this was again a really fun book, and I think it's especially just the way everything builds. Um, Aranovich does this great job of like crafting a story. You know, it it's interesting all the way through. Like some people, like it's interesting top heavy, or it's not till the end until you're like, oh right, I get it. Yeah, that was that that was a good ending. But you know, beforehand is nothing. But with Aronovic's books, all the way through, it's interesting. You're never you're never kind of left wanting. And it's not obvious. He doesn't tell obvious stories. Yeah, and and that's what I really enjoy. Because this book, like, it starts off with um, Peter and Leslie going, you know, to to a, a train tunnel. Um... Because Abigail takes them to to see a ghost. That's how it starts. And it ends with craziness on the underground. Which, which is just like, you know what I mean? You're going from that. So you go from this to there. And his problems thinking of how is he meant to deal with Abigail. Because, you know, she's not meant to know about magic. You know what I mean? Starting off with only him knowing. Then Leslie learns how to do magic on her own. Then he he makes some deal with some little kid. And that blows up in his face. So he has to tell... That, you know, so he's trying to work out how to deal with Abigail. What's the best route to take here? Um, so he's got that. Then he gets called... Because someone was stabbed on um, uh, Baker Street. So he has to go to Baker Street. And at first, like, he's just, you know, it's like, what what is this to do with me? How How is this magic related? But then he gets a whiff of the Visigia. And everything starts from there. You know, we're, 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 this, this story takes us to art galleries, to warehouses, you know, wading through sewers. Yeah, it, it, it's got all this craziness thrown in. We also have the introduction to different magical elements. Um, so, yeah, I've, I think I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it for you to discover what these are. Or, you know, what's these new kind of magical things that kind of appear or we're, we're introduced to. But he has that. So he has to work out, you know, well, what what do we do? Or like, how do we, you know, what's the deal with this? And then it, 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 it it's the other one. Like, well, what, huh? So if this, then what, uh, what 
Oh, yeah. So it's all all of that, which is which is yeah. It's just great because it makes you think. Be like, oh, so oh, what else could turn up? What else are we gonna see? This is, oh man, this is really interesting. So we have um yeah. So we have that, which is fun. It, you know, it's 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 a it's a great way, but it, it's also adding fabric to the story. You know, it's new building blocks being put in, and you're trying to go to yourself. All right, so who stabbed the dude? Like, where? Oh, was it that person? Yes, maybe it was that. But oh no, it can't then be that person. So who? And you're trying to unravel this this mystery, but you can't unravel this mystery. Uh, and and this is the the really kind of fun thing that you you're all you're left guessing at every turn you know it's not just a simple oh yeah obviously that thing did it hmm. which is great but on top of all of this peter has to deal with an american agent who um you know, who, 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 who comes in, FBI agent Kimberly Reynolds, so it's just like, okay, wh- wh- how do we cope with this, and especially when she's off the reservation, so it's like, oh shit, you know, new things to deal with, man, but I think the payoff is definitely well worth it, you're definitely, um, yeah, you're, 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 you're given this rich story with an ending that's like, ah, okay, ah, nice, ah, I like what you did there, and so that, that's the great thing about the book, but it all, but all the way through, there's these little things that are uncovered that you're like, oh, okay, so, right, so where's this going to lead to, which then makes, and then with the ending as well, you're just like, I need book four, I need to, yeah, definitely need to read book four, what the hell is going on, god damn it, um, so yeah, book four's Broken Homes, so yeah, I'm gonna hit that one pretty soon. So uh, yeah, I'll bring that to you right here, right now. Um, but yeah, I, I I highly recommend Whispers Underground. Again, if you're a fan of Felix Castor, if you're a fan of Alex Virus, um, you will definitely love these books. You know, but I think even if you're a fan of police crime stuff like Harry Bosch, I think you'll love these books too, because these are just great books. So yeah, fuck it. If you're just a fan of a great story, check these out. So this was Whispers Underground by Ben Aranovich, and it's book free in the Rivers of London series. There you go. Okay, people. So, 
we're coming to the end of another week and I just feel look we have to thank our guest Joanna Rurig thank you very much for um you know spending your time with us it was great and I think it turned out like a, a fantastic interview for the podcast also, I have to thank the, thank the great people at the Canvas Cafe. Um, it's, it's a great spot. Like, the cafe is um, it's a, it's a, it's a vegan cafe. It's open seven days a week. And they serve delicious homemade food such as... Called jackfruit sandwich, not meatball marinara sandwich, toe fish and chips, and some of the greatest cakes you will ever have. And if you're feeling like it, you can have their infamous vegan freak shake. Um. Yeah, it, it's a great place. It's open, as I said, look, Monday to Friday. It's 11 and till... Hold on. It's 11 till 8, Monday to Friday, and 10 till 8 at the weekend. Um, but the kitchen, Monday to Wednesday, is open 11 till 6. Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday is 11 till 8, and Friday is 11 till 9. The other great things about the um, Canvas Cafe is it's, um, it's got a creative space that you can hire and a community hub. And they also donate money to, to crisis and provide food for the homeless so how you know what I mean? you can't get much better than that right um it's it's it near liverpool street station it's 42 harborough that's h-a-r-b-u-r-y street e1 5j so yeah, check it out. It's a great place, um, and you will enjoy the food. And the staff are awesome. So uh, yeah, that's it for another episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've chuckled. I hope you've walked away informed. <laughs> like that will happen but yes i hope to see you next week remember echo chamber is tomorrow i think we're doing a golden globes thing um people share it with your friends you know what i mean share it with your friends leave us a five star on itunes because it will help move up the rankings which will means i can get sponsors and we can up you know the quality of the show people it will be in your benefit but yeah talk about it share it just listen and enjoy man and we'll see you next week peace <laughs>